0: Stuart Briscoe, a famous author and pastor, pastor tells this story. He says, one of my young colleagues was officiating at the funeral of a war veteran. The dead man's military friends wished to have part in the service at the funeral home. So they requested the pastor to lead them down with the casket down to the casket, stand with them for a solid, solemn moment of remembrance. And then lead them out through the side door. This he proceeded to do, but unfortunately the effect was somewhat marred when he picked the wrong door. The result was that they marched with military precision into a broom closet. (laughs) In full view of the mourners. and, And had to beat a hasty retreat covered with confusion. So this story kind of illustrates a cardinal rule or two. First, if you're going to lead, make sure you know where you're going. Second, if you're going to follow, make sure that you're following someone who knows where he's going. And this story is funny, but if you think about it, that's what we lack in our world and even in the church today. Lots of people want to be leaders, but nobody wants to be a follower. The best leaders are the ones that are good followers of Jesus. And if you follow Jesus and look over your shoulder, people will follow. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Now these wise men were led in an extraordinary way and they were led straight to Jesus. And I think that that's important for us to remember this Advent season. That in different times and in different ways, God is leading us back to the Christ. As he leads us back to Christ, he leads us back to joy and peace. So in the story that we have before us for Advent, we find an entourage of wise men coming from the east to worship Christ. But why? How did they know that this was the Messiah? What is with the star that rises and leads them? How do they know where to look for him? Look at verse two, look at verses one through three with me. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came uh, to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod, the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now in verse 1, it's important to know that the author says that Herod was the king. I'm going to get into a little bit of history so you understand the background of what's really happening here and what God is doing. Herod's the king of Judea at the time. Judea was a region in Israel. It's important because the gospel writer is conveying a historical fact. What we're reading here is history written for us. It's not just some a uh, wild tale or story. This is, this is true. Herod was an interesting kind of a guy. He stood about four feet, four inches tall. He was very short. And he had what people call a short man's complex. He was a master builder. He erected palaces, fortresses, entire cities. He built Masada, which is that high plain on top of that hill in Israel. Herod's royal citadel, he built aqueducts and his grandest project was he restored or renovated the the temple that Zerubbabel built coming back from the captivity of Babylon. But Herod was a very cruel and a vicious man who murdered his wife and his three sons in one evening. Caesar Augustus said, it's safer to be Herod's pig than his own family member. And at the time of Christ's birth, Herod was well into his 70s, and he realized that when he he died, nobody would mourn his death. So what he did was he arrested 100 leading men of Jerusalem, he threw them into prison, and gave the order that they should all be executed once he died. He said, if the city won't mourn for me, let it mourn for those who die with me. This guy was really nuts. Herod was actually not even a Jew. He was an Edomite. The Edomites were descendants of Esau. So, if you recall, Jacob and Esau were warring with with each other in the womb. And now, this war between the sons of Jacob and the sons of Esau were continuing. Herod, the son of Esau, was warring with Jesus, the son of Jacob. So how can a man like Herod become the king of Israel at the time of Christ's birth? Well, he was a conniver. He was more loyal to Rome than his own people. He was, he was a slick snake oil salesman is really what he was. He became a political ally of Mark Anthony. You heard that name? who is of Cleopatra fame. Mark Anthony was a powerful person in Rome at the time, and he is the one who installed Herod as the king of Judea to be his personal puppet. And it was during this time that Herod was visited by these wise men who came from the east. Now notice in verse 1, Matthew says, Behold, wise men come from the east to Jerusalem. The word behold there in the Greek means Pay attention to what's about to happen. The author, Matthew, is telling us this is a big deal. Don't miss this. So who were these guys and what were they, why were they coming from the east? To understand what we're reading and how it applies to our lives later on down the road in this sermon, we must first get the context of what's happening. The Greek word for wise men is the word magiós which is where we derive our English word for magician. These guys were astrologers who practiced the Babylonian occultic arts. They read stars. They interpreted dreams. I think it's so cool how the Lord met these magi where they were at. God gave astrologers who sought to determine the secrets of life in the universe through reading stars God gave them a star to lead them to Christ. Jesus will always meet you personally where you are at. He will never ask you to come up to his level, but he always comes down to your level. Isn't that wonderful about our savior? Wherever you're at in your life, if you seek him, He will make himself known to you in a way that you can understand him and follow him. God will always come to your level. So at the birth of Christ, around 4 to 6 BC, uh, the Roman Empire was the dominant force in the Western world. And what Rome would do is they would come into a, an area, they would conquer it, but they would establish a form of government called Pax Romana or Roman peace. And what that means is that when Rome came in, they let you keep your religious traditions. They let you keep somewhat of a form of, of, of a government, but Rome ultimately was the, was the ultimate authority. Pax Romana. It was a period of relative peace at that time. And this leads us to what is called the Parthian Empire, where these Magi, these wise men, were from. It's also known as the Arsatic Empire, which existed from 247 BC to 224. And it was a major power in the area of Iran and Mesopotamia. The Parthians were skilled—I'm getting somewhere with all this, so hang with me. The Parthians were very skilled horse archers, and they became known for their military prowess. The Parthians had conflicts with the Roman Republic and later the Roman Empire. And Judea, or Israel, acted sort of like a buffer state between the two. Rome and Parthia were at odds for many years, and wars erupted in a series of conflicts between the Roman Empire and the Parthian Empire. And that spanned from about the first century to the third century. 200 years, there was war between these two factions, these empires. And really it was over key trade routes, military positions, that kind of thing. It continued with various degrees of success back and forth. And Israel was always stuck in the middle. The most notable Roman figures involved were a guy by the name of Mark Anthony, which I mentioned in the Roman general Trajan, if you know those names. So do you see why in verse 3 that when these guys came walking in to Jerusalem how all Jerusalem was nervous? They thought a conflict was going to erupt. And there, there probably weren't just three guys. There were probably a whole entourage. We get three because of the three gifts they gave to Jesus. Now I find it interesting That of all the times that the Lord would send his son into the world, he would send it in the middle of the highest tension and the deepest conflicts. Because Jesus is peacefully asleep in his feed trough made for a bed, the region was at peace. Because wherever God's presence is, there's peace. His presence, the Holy Spirit, is with you. And you have peace whether you realize it or not. And now your capacity to enjoy that peace is greatly increased or greatly diminished depending on how close you are to Jesus. You have peace either way. Christ is with you. But your capacity to enjoy that peace is dependent upon whether you believe him or not. The babe in Bethlehem was asleep in six miles away from Jerusalem. And because the babe in Bethlehem was there, there was peace. See, in our culture is going down the toilet morally, spiritually, and physically. And if you read the news and keep scrolling through X all day, you'll get depressed. But understand that the Prince of Peace came as a baby and brought peace into the world Around him. Your peace is not predicated upon what's going on around you. It's predicated upon a person, the person of Christ. John 14, 7, Jesus said it this way Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So do what Jesus is doing here in our story. He's sleeping amid conflict. What conflict do you have? in your life this Christmas season? What are you dealing with? What are the problems that are uh, stirring up dissension and trouble for you? Well, I guarantee you that Jesus is not worried about your troubles and the difficulties that you're dealing with. Maybe it's a health problem. He's not worried about it. In fact, he's intimately aware of it. And he's at rest right now, so you can be at rest. And notice the Magi say, hey, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? That's a put down to Herod. Meaning, you're not the real king here. Where's the one? Where's the true king of Israel? So in verse 4, it says, Assembling all the chief priests and scribes and people, he inquired them of where Christ was to be born. And of course, the religious elite, the scholars, the biblical scholars tell him, Micah chapter 5 verse 2, Herod, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So Herod is under the control and influence of Satan. And now Satan tried to keep Christ from being born. Now he's trying to destroy him after his birth. And boy, now Herod feels threatened. So Herod, not knowing the scriptures, and being ignorant of Messiah's birth, gathers these elite theologians. Now, you know what's interesting to me? Jesus, Bethlehem's about six miles away from Jerusalem. Here these wise men come, talking about a phenomena of a star that's leading them. In other words, they, these guys made it their life's mission to get to Jesus they spent time, they spent money, they spent energy. And yet here, were, here was Herod, who, who gathers the religious, religious elite, tell them exactly where the Messiah was going to be birthed, birth, and didn't bother to walk six miles to find out whether it was true. That's amazing. The Magi spent months and perhaps years traveling the desert, spending tons of money. The scribes who knew the word of God wouldn't even get on their feet to see what was happening a few miles away. And I, I, I think we can be like these scribes sometimes where we take the Bible for granted. When the Holy Spirit leads us, he does so through his word. And it's not enough just to know the Bible. But we must obey it. And we we can become lazy in our walk by not obeying the prompting of the Holy Spirit through his word. I think about how alive these scribes and these Pharisees would have been if they would have just obeyed and investigated the child. They could have seen the revelation of God right in front of them. They were living at the time of the birth of the Messiah. And I think that's a key point that the more we obey God and his word, the greater revelation of Jesus we will receive. It's through obedience to the word of God that Jesus rewards us and gives us more insight into our lives into himself, into everything. Obedience to God's word protects us from the Herods that are trying to destroy us. There was a massive hurricane back in 2004 called Hurricane Charlie. 145 mile an hour winds. That is wicked. But later a study by a group of insurance companies found that almost all of the homes that had been destroyed had something in common. They were built prior to 2001. And in that year, there was a strict new building code that was adopted, which required homes to be strengthened to withstand hurricane force winds. A guy by the name of Jeff Burton, he was a building code manager for the Institute of Business and Home Safety, said, this is very, very strong evidence that these buildings built under the 2001 code were built properly and inspected, fared much, much better than the buildings that were built poor and ignored the codes. The building code as it exists today did its job. And there's a reason for the building code. And those who follow it find that it works. And it's the same way with the word of God. The Bible says that knowledge puffs up but loves edifies. Jesus told the Pharisees, you search the scriptures for in them, you think you have eternal life, but these are they which speak about me. I think in our own camp, in our own say reform camp, if you will, there's a tendency to worship the Bible more than the person of the Bible. And we need to be careful that we obey when God prompts us to obey. Verse 7, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly. So he gets, he knows, he knows. Okay, I know it's in Bethlehem, so now I've got a plan. Herod summons the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word and I will come and worship him. Yeah, right. So about two years have passed since God put a supernatural star in the sky and make no mistake about it. There was something unusual about this star. I've heard people try to explain away. Let's just call it what it is. It's a miracle. God created a star that led these men to straight to Christ. The Magi goes to Herod to find out where the child was to be born. And Herod, having an ulterior motive, sends the Magi out to go and find him. And I find this interesting. That the men who are not Jewish are seeking after the Jewish Messiah. But the men who are Jewish are not. Herod is an evil man. And here, God is using Herod. God is using Herod to lead these men straight to the babe in Bethlehem. You know God can use anybody. God is really good at drawing straight lines with crooked sticks. <laughs> and that person who desires to seek Jesus will be led to him, even if that man is evil, no matter who God uses to help that seeker. Of course, we don't see God, he seeks us, but he prompts us to seek him. After listening, verse 9, to the king, they went their way. And behold, a star that they had seen, when it rose, went before them. That they had seen, meaning it was there once and now it's reappeared again. Until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. It's interesting that Herod, after giving the Magi instructions where the child was, Based on the word of God, the Magi went on their way immediately. They didn't waste any time. The Magi must have been well-versed in, Hebrew, in the Hebrew scriptures based on Daniel five centuries earlier. Remember, Daniel was in Babylon as a captive. And the second administration that came into power after the Babylonians were the Medo-Persians. And it was the Medo-Persian king that put him in charge of all the, you guessed it, the Magi. And so Daniel taught them about the coming Messiah. And so it was Daniel, I'm sure that these guys knew the Hebrew scriptures. He was in charge of them. And the word of God is coming through an evil man. And these Magis, this Magi, this group of Magi, chose to believe and act on the word of God. Even an evil king, when he speaks truth in the Bible about the Messiah, is speaking truth. And the truth is undeniable. And check this out. It says, There was a young boy whose mother planned a surprise birthday party for her son. And after he got home, he went upstairs to his room. Then all his classmates and teachers gathered in the living room. His mother called to him downstairs. But she didn't hear him. He was hiding he climbed down a tree outside his window and was hiding at a nearby park the rest of the children went on to enjoy a good time but little johnny never turned up when he came in for supper his mother asked where he had been and he had missed an incredible time and it was just it was planned just for him and he tearfully confessed that he he had heard her call but hid until supper time because he thought that she had chores for him to do. You know, it's so important that when we hear the word of God call us to do something, that we don't hesitate, but we act on it right away. Why? Because God is leading to bless us. It's not, he's not giving us chores to do. He's leading us to bless us. Which is what any father wants for his child. The, great, the, the, the biggest nation in the world is procrastination. And see, many of us think it's a chore to obey God. It's not a chore. The Bible says that his commandments are not burdensome. But all the while, he's doing it to bless us. Guys, get to Bethlehem quick. There's the child. And he doesn't want to miss out on all that he has. I think it's 1 Corinthians 2, I can't remember. No no eye has seen nor ear has heard nor has that ever entered into the heart of a man the things that God has for those who love him. So the star that they had seen rose. So here we see that God was not only working through his word, but God was also working through their circumstances. He was arranging these guys steps to lead them straight to Christ. And that's how the Lord works with you and me. He arranges our circumstances. He confirms that through the word of God, and he leads us straight to Christ. Whatever situation you find yourself in or whatever road you're traveling through your life, be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit through your circumstances and through the word of God to where He's leading you. For some of you, he's leading you to some good things this coming year. As he's broken down some things, <laughs> I can speak to that. He's broken some things. And perhaps because it's, he's relieving some dead weight that's in your life. That he can't move forward with you because there's some things that are holding you back. Mainly you and me. He's trying to free you up. So maybe you have been in a time of being stripped. And that's okay. Because it means when we're stripped, it means that we have to depend solely on him for everything in our lives. And Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. He's not going to allow these broken things to get in the way of what he has for you. This upcoming season especially after we close our doors you see the Lord doesn't need any of us but he wants us to be involved in his work in the kingdom isn't that amazing that is incredible to me that he wants to use you and me to build his kingdom it's incredible Pay attention to how the Lord is rearranging your life right now. Be sensitive to what he wants to do and let him have his way. Just surrender it all and say, Lord, whatever you have in this next season, I'm going to submit myself to you. And I'm just going to trust you. You lead me. I'm going to stand here. Just make me move wherever you want to move me. Yes, there's a time when the Lord allows hardship and difficulty to mold and shape you. And for some of you, that's what this year has been. But the Apostle Peter says this. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. 1 Peter 5.10. You know, I bet these Magi were, after all the years of study, all the years of, These were important men, usually the religious elite in in the Parthian Empire were also the head of government, the highest government positions. These guys were very important men. But I'll bet you they they went through some stuff. And to get to Jesus, to see this child, their Savior, was so special. Look with me, our last two verses, 11 and 12. And going into the house... They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So these magi, very important men in government positions, are overwhelmed by seeing their savior right in front of him, as a little child. Jesus actually was probably two years old at this time. And all the searching, and being drawn by the Lord to seek him, all the failed attempts and disappointments in their occultic arts, crescendos into being in the presence of the creator. Of the creator. Their hearts are overwhelmed. That this is what Daniel was speaking about in Babylon 500 years prior. That this was going to happen someday. And they knew exactly why he came. It was costly for these men to come and worship Christ. It cost them two years of travel. It cost them time, money, probably their digni- dignity. It may have cost them their jobs. Who knows? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But you know what? In the Parthian empire to forsake their gods and to seek out the God of Israel, that was the death sentence. Worship is costly. And it's hard sometimes. But boy, is it worth it. Worship of Jesus may cost you wealth, status, importance, friends, family. But what you gain is better than anything you can imagine. You gain Christ what you gain in knowing God personally and intimately, to know his love, his grace, his care for you, knowing that he paid the ultimate price on Calvary, to know he stooped so low as to become one of us as a little helpless child, to know that he stooped so low that he had to be fed, changed, and burped. But when you have... Him as your deepest, greatest treasure and your most profound love. You can say what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 8, and 9. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may, I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So when these magi saw Jesus, the possessions that they had, the riches, the the status, it didn't mean anything to them anymore, not compared to, to this one in front of them. And all the gold, frankincense, myrrh, which, by the way, were very expensive luxury items in that day, were worthless compared to him. The gifts the Magi bestowed upon Christ were prophetic in nature. These gifts communicated their understanding of who he was. Gold is often given to a king out of reverence and respect. If you remember back in the Old Testament, gold was given to Solomon as a a gift. Not that he needed any, but... Frankincense was a spice that was broken down, used in incense for worship. It was also used to sprinkle on the showbread table in the temple every day. The 12 loaves, which represented the 12 tribes of Israel. This speaks of the office of a priest. You see, these magi, they know they needed, they needed a mediator. We all need a mediator. We need to feel a certain sense of justification for our lives. And they saw Jesus as the ultimate priest, which he is the greatest mediator to justify them before a holy God. And myrrh was used as an embalming fluid in burials. They knew why he had come. He had come to give his life for his people. And someday when Christ comes back, in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 6, the Bible says that men will bring him gifts of golden frankincense. But there's no myrrh. It's amazing. So the wise men were students, not only of stars, but of dreams. And so it was fitting that God warns them in a dream. How cool is that? Again, meets them where they're at. And at Jesus' birth, the Gentile magi acknowledged him as king. And at Jesus' death, Pilate, a Gentile, commanded a placard reading, king of the Jews, to be posted at his cross. Although the Jews said, we will not have this man rule over us and rejected his kingship, there were those who did indeed acknowledge Jesus as king. In closing, this Christmas, behold this child. This child left it all to come for you. This child left opulent wealth and exchanged it for poverty. This child took off his royal robe and exchanged it for rags. This child left the close, intimate fellowship of his father and exchanged it for close, intimate fellowship with you. This child left his heavenly home and embraced homelessness for you. This child left behind ultimate power and embraced ultimate weakness for you. This child left the praise and adoration of heaven and exchanged them for jeers of his enemies for you. This child took off his royal crown and exchanged it for a crown of thorns for you. This child left his throne and exchanged it for a cross for you. This Christmas, behold the child, behold the Christ (coughs) that, that came for you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for what Advent means. Thank you so much that you would stoop so low to come into the a world, into the raw sewage of human sin, to be born as one of us and to tabernacle among us. Lord, Lord, Fill us with your Holy Spirit. May we always tabernacle with you. Thank you for this, what Christmas means. It's not about a fat man in a suit, but it's about a man. It's about the God-man who came to us. In Jesus' name, amen.